we found out that um, there were dupes or fakes of our bags being made and sold in the markets, like the market in Bali, um, which is where they, they sell like lots of fake Chanel bags and, you know, Prada bags and whatever. Anyway, so uh, a factory over there had sent me some photos of one that they'd seen. And then actually around the same time, a customer had sent me some photos of them like hanging in the markets and the first thought was like oh and then the second thought was oh my gosh we've made it like we're, we're the chanel of baby bags <laughs> people are copying us people are copying my designs like what in today's episode we have sophie doyle founder of alpha label a diaper bag for the modern mum. join us as we learn about everything from hobby to scaling what it takes to grow your brand welcome to building billions where we cover the risks and rewards of success Hi, Sophie. Welcome to Building Billions. Excited to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Um, so tell me a bit about you and Alf and the genesis of creating your brand. Yeah, so when I fell pregnant with my first child, she, Ari, she's now almost, well, she's seven and a half. Um, oh there God, was, they grow up so quick. They do, don't they? I, I lose track some days. My youngest one is actually turning five in a fortnight and I just cannot get my head around that. But <laughs> with the brand, um, when I fell pregnant with Ari, I was looking for a diaper bag or a baby bag, which is what we call them here in Australia. Uh, and there just really wasn't anything that suited my style. A lot of the products that were out on the market were quite low quality, but still quite a high price point for what they were. Or they just didn't look like something that I was ever going to use again outside of that sort of newborn phase. So I, I had previously had clothes and things like that made for myself like I'd drawn sketches of them and had tailors make clothes in my sort of when I was younger and I thought hey why can't I just do that with a bag so that I can get what I want um so I had a bag made for myself it was never meant to be a business to begin with which was um it's been an interesting journey because of that uh but so I had this bag made and then I started to use it once my daughter was born and I had lots of people stop me saying oh that's a really nice baby bag where did you get it you know can you tell me can you send me the link or you know tell me where you found it you know which shop did you buy it in um and so once I had sort of explained that I'd had it made myself I was like oh can you get me one made you know could you call the tailor and get get him to make a couple more because we'd love to buy one and so I thought at that time I thought you know what I'm on maternity leave of course, you know, you think when you've got a newborn, you seem to have all the time in the world, but, you know, in actual fact, that's not really true. And so I started what I thought was going to be a little hobby business of sort of creating these pretty baby bags and selling them to people at sort of, you know, um, markets and, you know, very much very sort of traditional means of selling the product. But it really didn't evolve um, that way. You know, it, it went in a very different direction quite quickly in that I had um, decided that I really wanted to do this. I'd made the design. I'd sort of found someone to produce it and things like that, created the name for the label. Um, and then I um, had had one made and then, sorry, losing my train of thought there. Um, uh, I had started an Instagram page to get a little bit of inspo and collect a few followers before I'd launched the brand. And then since then I launched the bag on pre-order and then all of a sudden it took off and I sold all of my allocation of my stock within the first few weeks which was really surprising to me um, and quite exciting because I thought oh maybe there you know there's obviously other people out there that really would love um, this product as well which is exciting. 
well, that, isn't that how brands are built? Where or the purity of a brand is built when there's a genesis moment where you created something for you that you were passionate about, that you needed, and you solved a need. Um, and by doing that, the market validated you quite quickly. And that's incredible. What was that first couple weeks like when you had sold it on pre-order and then going to have to fulfill the orders? Like, what was that experience like? So I sold the first um lot of stock actually on pre-order which was amazing because at the time I didn't have a lot to invest in running in starting a, a fashion brand it's it's quite expensive to produce leather bags particularly you know compared to things like apparel which might be a little bit easier to sort of have a smaller capital with leather it's an incredibly expensive material to use um, and to work with the the bags that I'm producing are quite complex in design. They've got lots of hardware, lots and lots of pockets, which is obviously part of their unique sort of selling point. But um, I didn't have a lot of capital to spend on starting the brand. So I sold all of the product on pre-order and um, paid the pre-order. So the balance of the shipment with the money that I'd made from the pre-orders, which was amazing. That's incredible. And throughout that process, how was it then scaling up? What was it like to go, okay, I've market validated people want the bag now I have to fulfill the bag um what was that what was that like yeah so it was funny I I think I got very excited quite quickly like oh wow this is exciting I can create new products and things like that so I came out with a few different um bits and pieces to kind of go along with the range another little small sort of satchel bag and then um the original bag that I had produced was a tote it was like a traditional big really great tote that you could basically throw everything in um, with lots and lots of different pockets and organization and things like that. And then as the brand evolved, I realized as well that I needed a backpack because I needed my hands free as a parent because, you know, you don't always have time to carry the bag or you don't have a spare hand to carry the bag. So I had created this new product, another bag called the Ari, which I named after my daughter, made that one into a convertible backpack because at the time, I actually wasn't really a backpack kind of girl. Like I wasn't really someone who would wear a backpack or use it as a handbag. Um, and so, but I thought at the time, you know, I, I really need something that I can change into a backpack when I need it, but then I might like to use it as a shoulder bag or a, you know, a um, crossbody bag as well. So I created a design that had removable straps on the back so that you could then you know, increase the convertibility of the bag as you like. And as a mum, having the versatility is always so nice, like being able to use one product for multiple things and different sides of your personality because you have them. Um, okay, so then you've mentioned that in the past you had um, had an inclination between before designing your own clothes and tailoring things. Did you always know you wanted to be in fashion? So it's funny, actually, because... I thought about this a few weeks ago when I was clearing out a cupboard here in the office and um, and I came across a book that I had bought, I think when I had just left school and it was, I think the book title was something like Careers in the Fashion Industry or something like that. And I pulled this book out of the cupboard and it made me remember that, yes, at, when I first left school and had was wondering what I wanted to do, well, originally I wanted to be a marine biologist. So, you know, that obviously didn't happen. In fact, I'd actually enrolled in a marine biology course at university here in Australia um, and then decided that that wasn't for me. And so I spent a, a number of years trying to figure out what it was that I actually wanted to do. And I think fashion has always been something that I've been interested in, um, but I probably never really had the confidence to think that I could ever be someone in the fashion industry because, you know, 
um, you know, I think we all put those sorts of people on pedestals, but in actual fact, they're just they're just humans like us. Um, so it was funny when I pulled this book out of the cupboard because it really made me realize, wow, this has actually been, you know, in my path, I think, for a very, very long time. And I just didn't realize it. Um, so, yeah. And yeah, I guess it kind of just evolved from there. That's incredible. And then um, within that process, what would be your advice to your younger self that was potentially interested in fashion all along? Um, maybe interested in being an entrepreneur that we can dive into as well. Yeah. Um, what would you what would you tell her about this process and what the future is going to be like? That you need to believe in yourself and that just because you see other people <clears throat> doing these amazing creative things, it doesn't mean that you're not just as creative as them, but it might be in a different way. You know, we're not all able to be incredible artists and, you know, create still life drawings and things like that. In fact, I'm not, not a particularly great drawer, um, but I managed to design a bag, you know, through process of, you know, collecting reference pictures and, um, you know, doing a sketch and then finding things that looked similar to that and cutting bits out and collaging them so that the suppliers could understand my vision. Um, so I think there's always a way around it and you just need to remember that you don't have to be good at everything. You can, if you've got a real passion, that you can make it happen regardless. Walk me through a story where you weren't sure whether to continue or to like continue with the brand or change your mind and maybe go back on a fallback. So that was, I think the first moment that that happened was before we'd even launched, I was trying to find suppliers to produce like the bulk. Um, it was different, you know, if you get one bag made, the person or the, the tailor shop that I had the in, initial piece made was very small. It was in Bali where I used to go holiday with my family and things like that. Um, but they weren't able to produce the, the product at scale. Um, so I needed to find a supplier that could. And so we spent, I think it was around 10 days in Indonesia and on that trip trying to find a supplier that could actually produce the leather that I wanted at the quality that I needed at the price point that we needed it to be, to be able to bring it to market. Um, and I got ripped off by one supplier. So what is, as in like, st they stole money from me. Um, the, uh, another supplier would literally just let me wait for hours when they said that they were going to be at a certain place at a certain time to give me the sample and I'd, you know, the meeting point or whatever, they'd be 10 hours late or something like that. And I was there with my eight month old baby at the time, you know, trying to navigate this, um, you know, business uh, side of a trip. Um, so that was awful. And I remember thinking, at the time, okay, this is not going to work. This is much harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought it would be fairly easy to just walk into a, um, you know, a manufacturer's and be like, this is what I want. Can you create it? What's the price? Not quite as simple as that. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, okay, this is not going well. I don't really know what to do next because at the time I had thought Indonesia was my easiest option for getting things made because I didn't really know where to source a supplier outside of Indonesia. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, I could just not do this. Uh, and then I realized that I'd already committed to it in my head. I had created a logo I'd created all the stationery, as in like the swing tags and all of the things. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a supplier. So I, um, did a lot of desktop research and managed to find some suppliers in Southern China, which is actually where all of the most high quality pieces more well, many of the high quality pieces in the world are made 
Um, and so found three different suppliers that I was willing to work with and then got them, to, got them all to sample the same thing so that I could compare the quality. But yeah, there was definitely a and moment there where I sampled it. Was it was it exactly what you expected when, oh. when they sent the samples? Because that <laughs> has happened so many times. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> one of them resembled what I thought it could resemble, um, and the other two were just like not even. I, I wish I'd kept them just for you know posterity because they were crazy. It, um, the interpretation of my design was just way off and the materials were awful and the hardware was awful and just the construction and quality generally was pretty average. So, but there, there was one that was, I could, I could work with it. I could thought, okay. It was close. It was, it was close. It was sort it's of like... close. Um, so I actually went with that supplier to begin with. We don't work with them anymore because we've established very long-term relationships with other much larger suppliers with much bigger throughput. But um, the first supplier, I mean, and they took a chance on me as well. I think that's the other thing that when you start a business, you just expect that you can just place an order wherever you like, and they're going to be able to accommodate what you're asking um, at the price point that you need it to be. But in actual fact, most factories that produce product, any product on bulk, they have minimum order quantities that they usually work to to make their business sustainable. Um, and so producing only say 50 pieces of a product is not usually something that they're willing to take on. So I was very lucky that that supplier was willing to kind of see if they saw my vision for the, my brand and they were willing to work with me on that initial order. Uh, and I managed to grow my quantities obviously over time. How was the experience of deciding to invest in yourself? As in believe in myself and, and really follow the dream. Um, it happened so organically with without the label. It's funny. I, I already I had a full time job that I had gone on maternity leave when I had Ari, my daughter, um, and I had always thought that I was going to go back to that job. And in fact, I did um, for a time once I, my maternity leave had finished, and I went back to that position and still really enjoyed it. Loved the people that I worked with. Loved the the company that I was working for, um, but. It, got, it had got to the point already at that point where we were packing orders until midnight every night. You know, I'd get home from work at five, I'd feed um, Ari, we'd put her to bed and then we'd sit basically from eight o'clock until midnight packing orders and doing admin and, um, you know, answering customer emails and things like that. And I thought, okay, this is, it's, it's a lot. Like, but I'm still really enjoying doing the side hustle thing. And then I got pregnant with my second child, Otis, uh, and then I ended up on maternity leave with him with the same company. And then in actual fact, they offered voluntary redundancies during a restructure of the company at that time. And they had offered the opportunity to be able to take a, another role within the same division. But I took that as my sign from the universe that I this was my chance to exit from that part of my life and that career um, very smoothly and then be able to transition straight into working full-time for Alpha Label. And what was the first day transitioning into full-time for Alf? What was that like? <laughs> I think it took about three days of thinking that I could do everything myself and then I turned around to my husband and was like, I need to hire someone. This is crazy. You know, I think when you're only doing the bare minimum <clears throat> as a bit of a side hustle, um, it kind of works because you're just getting by you're just doing the things that you need to do and then you think oh, I'll just worry about all of those other things later um, 
you know, like accounting and you know, all of the financial parts of the business and you're not really you're not really tracking metrics and you're not looking at things in detail and working out how you can grow and where your audience, you know, what they're looking at and you know what they love and things like that. Um, and so when you have full time energy on that brand and you think, okay, we need to get from here to here, you realise that there's actually a lot of things that you've been missing, as in you just haven't done them because of lack of time. Um, and so I uh, decided that I needed to hire um, someone pretty quickly so that I could at least take a little bit of, you know, that off my plate and so that I could look to grow the business. And because I'd worked in marketing and PR for that, my entire career, I actually, much to what I think is probably usually the track is that you would stay doing what you are good at and you would outsource the things that you um didn't necessarily want to do I actually did it the other way around because I was very set on the way that I was marketing the brand I knew exactly the strategy that I wanted to take and I thought okay I think for me the easiest thing that is the most time consuming part of the business I'm going to hire someone who can actually just roll out my strategy and I can oversee that because I'd be with them all the time anyway and um, you know I can approve things and, and things like that so that actually worked really well I hired um, a, a marketing person in fact I actually hired two part-time so that it worked out to be one full-time which was amazing um, and I'm still in touch with those beautiful girls today um, you know they've been a really big part of the journey of ALF and um, so I hired two people in marketing and then eventually we got a dispatch person as well which was great because, again, that was a very time-consuming part of the business. But that was the bit where I thought that I could just do that bit at night, no problem in the in the first place. So then all of a sudden I had a team of a few people working from my back living room, which was quite awkward given that we and we were storing bags everywhere. My house isn't huge and we, we had a storeroom that we took over the storeroom. We took over the spare room and made that an office and a dispatch room. We were storing um, cartons of product. We bought a hydraulic lift bed um, in my bedroom and we were storing like cartons underneath the bed because we literally had no space. Uh, and then we had a, um, then we had a offsite storage at a storage facility as well to house the rest of the stock. And so again, my husband would be there at 11 o'clock at night re replenishing stock that we'd sent out that day. He'd go to the storage unit and bring the, bring the cartons that we needed back <laughs> when I look back That's on incredible. it I just think it I, seems I can, so crazy I can picture that yeah <laughs> I can picture every like moment of care because at that moment it, it's it's a decision that you have to make in the business to to scale to another location is it consistent is there market predictability there's so many layers to it um and it's kind of fight or flight when you're in that space too yeah and then eventually it got to the point where there were just too many people in my house. And um, also my kids were getting a little bit older and my, my eldest was then, I think she must have been going to kindergarten at that point. And Otis was still a baby, but he was starting to move around. And it was fine when he was really little and you could kind of pop him in the little bouncer and he'd be sitting there with you while you're sort of doing things and I'd be talking to him sitting on the floor. Um, or he'd be sort of on the play mat and, you know, playing with his little toys and things like that. Or I could stick him in the high chair and he wouldn't try and climb out. But as soon as he started to move around a lot, we actually had to hire an au pair um, to come and live with us because it got to the point where I wasn't able to be 
like keep him safe and happy and entertained you know he obviously needed a lot more stimulation and so we got an au pair to come and stay with us and that was that was amazing it's a godsend I can only imagine um I have an eight month old so no he turned nine months yesterday never mind I have a nine month old now (laughs) he's whole new stage of development um and once they start moving there is it's all bets are off and trying to concentrate on anything is always difficult yes exactly exactly and you, you don't want to also neglect like their attention and giving them space and time and growth and everything. Yeah. So that's fantastic to, to pull in the humans that, you know, are dedicated to them. Yeah, no, it was, it worked so well for us because it meant that as well, I wasn't there the one, he wasn't a particularly good sleeper during the day either. So often I'd have to be sitting in his um, room, you know, patting him to sleep or feeding him to sleep or something like that, which was obviously I'd be sitting there thinking, oh, this is a beautiful moment, but I really need to get back to the work that I'm doing. So it was great because um, the au pair was really able to help sort of take those parts out. And, you know, when he was asleep, I could work. And he was awake, I'd feed him and then we'd play a little bit and then the au pair would come and, like, entertain him in the area that we were still working, like we were all still all around or she'd take him to the park or something like that just to give me a bit of time and space, which was, it was a nice balance between being there and not being there. It's fantastic to have help. Help in the journey, whether it's in the company or in your personal, both of them, it's, it's, it helps fuel you to accelerate further and for you to tap into pushing you guys further and further. Um, and that's phenomenal. When it comes to ALF, I hear that your the Genesis, the brand name, is from a family member. Do you want to elaborate? Yeah, so ALF was my grandfather and he, um, he was in the UK, so in England. Uh, I only knew him, he died when I was about two and a half, but I had always felt very connected to him, even as a young person. There was lots of stories about how amazing he was and um, and I always felt that I think part of my personality probably comes from him is, you know, he was always willing to take a chance. He was a very much, very much an entrepreneur. He worked in many different jobs after the war. He was, um, I think, in fact, he was a confectioner when my mum was born. I think that's what she said was on her birth certificate as like what your dad, you know, your dad's occupation was a confectioner. But um, after the war, he was a what was called a furrier or a leather tailor. So he used to cut, um, we used to do work in a leather factory that made fur coats <clears throat> and so he'd be the one that was cutting the leather panels and so I always thought that you know the the tie between what I'm doing in leather work um, and him was a nice a nice little sort of synergy there. That's wonderful and the bags are named after your brand story there with um, the connectivity to family that's that's wonderful. All of the products actually are named after somebody in either my family or my husband's family. I sort of got to a point where I ran out of names that I knew of quickly in my side of the family and so started to take on some of his um, and then we've managed to sort of extend that family tree back a little bit further <laughs> as the product line has grown. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait till you hit a line where you're like, I don't have any yeah, people. <laughs> seven, we're back at the 1700s at the moment or something. <laughs> oh Ancestry.com yeah. is getting a lot of attention from here. <laughs> Must find someone. Yeah, exactly. So then once you were building and you got to a stage where you had all the inventory in your house, you were trying to decide what the next step was, what was that like and how did you make the decision to scale further? Yeah, so I think the decision was made around practical space within the house, as in we just got to the point where we're at bursting point 
and we needed to bring more stock in and it was either getting bigger storage units like we i think at that point we had maybe three storage units that were quite large at that point um and so it started to become a little bit impractical and we thought you know scale wise this is obviously not going to work long term um and because i had started to have obviously help with the kids it gave me a little bit of extra time to sort of focus on the business and then we decided okay i think we're ready now i i reckon otis must have been over a year old by that point and so we um rented a 240 square meter warehouse which is quite big i don't know what that is uh converted to yeah that's quite big warehouse sort of about maybe seven minutes drive from our house uh that had offices built in as well and obviously the warehouse space which was great and then we realized that because the brand had sort of we we knew the brand was going to grow but we didn't need all of that space straight away i had i actually created a second business in that we painted the entire internals of this warehouse pink like bright pink and we rented it out as an event space um like photography and events and workshops and things like that and it actually still operates as an event space today i sold that part of the business when we moved out of that warehouse which is really lovely to see that you know that little idea that i had to kind of um bring in some income to be able to subsidize the rent of the actual warehouse was is you know was a great business idea and still people still love it which is cool it shows your innovative spirit it shows that um there is no real problem there is only solutions that you have to find yes that is, is absolutely the motto that i live by when people have problems like within the business i'm like don't come to me with the problem until you've thought of at least one solution that we can use to you know it doesn't have to be the right solution but it's always about making sure that you're focusing on how you can fix it rather than dwelling in the problem <laughs> absolutely and how many times have we had people come to us with just problem 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 and when you're at that saturated level where you have so many problems um it's nice when there's creativity that comes from the other side yeah exactly and i still feel like i'm very much like that as an entrepreneur now my husband works full time for the business these days and he's the general manager and obviously we we're strength in different areas he's more of the finance business management side of things hr that kind of thing um but still he will come you know he'll come up against challenges whatever it is operationally financially cash flow whatever it is um and he'll come to me and say okay this is the problem that we've got we need to think of you know he knows that i'm going to think of a solution and then i'll sit there and i'll go okay what about this what about this what about this what about this and then we'll we'll figure out something that's going to work which is helpful <laughs> what is it like working with your partner oh we love it we absolutely love it he's he's been so involved with the brand since the beginning obviously he had a full-time job as well he used to work for the government in disability services actually so he's come from a very like project management <clears throat> excuse me type background um and um he uh came into the um the business once he had actually taken a redundancy from his role as well funnily enough um and it's just worked so it well the universe the universe <clears throat> was genuinely telling you guys to hey like here's some space do you want it like here's some decision making space tell me about it cuz you know you don't get offered redundancies all the time which is great um so yeah so and he works we we try and keep our home life and our work life as separate as we can like we do talk about work at home <clears throat> but He works on the downstairs floor of our building. I'm in the upstairs floor, which is where I'm sitting at the moment, and I sit with the marketing team and the design and production team up here, and he sits downstairs with the operations team and wholesale um team as well. So it's nice because during the day we're not sitting right next to each other, and I also don't want 
there to be some sort of weird hierarchical culture here where people are just like, oh, they're the owners, you know, they sit next to each other in their sort of little kind of glass box, glass box over there. Like I, That's not really the culture that I want to drive for the business. We're very equal. Luke is one of the team. I'm one of the team, you know. Um, so it's nice because, and as well, he focuses on the day-to-day running of the brand, um, whereas I'm much more the strategy, vision, creative side of things. If you were to give advice to a new entrepreneur in um, the apparel category, what would be the three non-negotiables that you would tell them to focus on? Think about the brand in five years' time rather than in five minutes' time. I think I, when I started, it wasn't meant to be a big brand. It was meant to be a hobby. And uh, so I think it took us ooh, probably a good three years to begin with to kind of get up to speed and, you know, decide what our strategy was, figure out what our margins even were. Like, to be honest, I started the brand not even really understanding what product margin was, like landed cost, what's that? You know, I, I, I got it, but I didn't understand the significance of it in terms of scale. Um, and so certainly thinking about your what you're starting, but how that's going to look in five years' time. Are you building enough? Um, infrastructure into the back end of your systems are you, you know is your website going to be compatible with what you need it to be compatible with in a few years time are your you know do you have any understanding of your product cost and what therefore what your you know retail cost should be um, I see a lot of small brands starting and it was the same as me and just pricing far too low and then realizing later down the track that actually things cost money and they've all of a sudden got operational costs that they didn't expect and then having to raise the prices incrementally or by a lot or even not even being able to survive because they can't raise the price. Um, so it's taken my brand quite a long time to be able to streamline ourselves like that and understand how we're supposed to, you know, what our pricing structure is. You know, obviously, you know, we, we're here, we need to be able to make money to be able to continue the, the brand. So we can't be selling product for like nothing because it's not sustainable for the business. Especially when there's so many comparables that are price like downward accelerating, like it's a price comparison market right now for some reason and, and quality should not be compromised. Like it, it's quality should speak for itself and, and scale yeah exactly and I think that's that's where we sit and it's sometimes quite hard for me as an entrepreneur or the founder of the brand to look at other brands and not try and compare ourselves um not necessarily in our space like in our niche because we sit in this sort of interesting area where there aren't worldwide there's not a huge amount of competitors in the baby bag or the diaper bag space that sit within the high quality sort of um, accessible luxury space um, there's lots of different options out there, but many of them are much lower price point because the materials that they use are obviously, um, you know, uh, cheaper to produce, I suppose. Perhaps the functionality of the bag isn't quite the same as what we offer. So, you know, there's lots of, um, there's lots of brands to compare yourself to, but you can't because it's not comparing apples with apples. You know, I can't, we, 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 yeah, it's just, it's silly and it's, it's hard not to. Um, but you know, in reality, you've got to just be able to stay in your own lane, really solidify what it is, where you're at in terms of the landscape and your competitor landscape and really just own that space. 
Absolutely. And and connect with the customer that is your customer. Yeah. Oftentimes people get distracted by wanting to bring in other avatars and other people um, into their market segment. But if you keep fulfilling the needs of your one avatar, then then you really can continue with them on that process. Yeah. Um, people have people like legacy items as well. So if you can pass down the bags and be part of that group. Uh, process it's it's beautiful yeah we have a very very um tailored sort of customer audience that we work to and it, it is that woman that wants something that is going to last her because she's the woman that is you know leaving her career to be able to have a baby for a short you know for a period of time from for her maternity leave and then you know her aspiration is to actually have a career outside of being a parent later down the track for the most part obviously that doesn't apply to every single customer we have but she's the woman that wants to buy something that's going to last her throughout her motherhood journey and then be able to take her back to her life that was you know what she had before she had kids which was perhaps a career so yeah it's it's nice to be able to play in that space it's we're definitely not fast fashion we work with very high quality materials and hardware and all of the things and you know the the designs that I produce are very considered for that reason um, but obviously that means that it is it is at a, a more luxury price point. What was that moment that you realized that you had built something that was going to last that was going to continue in this market? Do you mean in the the brand or the product? Yeah, the brand. The brand. The brand. Oh, I think there have been so many moments across the last, well, six and a half years where I should have stepped back and really acknowledged how well I've done. But I, I think that's probably one of my weaknesses, to be honest, is that I, you know, something amazing happens and I go, oh, awesome. I've ticked that off my list. Great. Glad that we managed to do that. What's the next thing? And that's just put it in the bag and keep going. Correct, you know. And that's just me being that person that is always. I'm always at the next point. I'm always looking for the next moment in you know the next event in that sort of milestone time you know timeline. Um, it, oh, I wonder. I'm trying to think of what the earliest moment would be that I found out that you know, I, or I really thought that we'd made it. I don't know. There's just honestly been so many. And I, one of them, I think, probably, <laughs> probably, which is kind of, uh, I, I suppose some entrepreneurs would be a bit upset about this, but we found out that um, there were dupes or fakes of our bags being made and sold in the markets, like the market in Bali, um, which is where they, they sell like lots of fake Chanel bags and, you know, Prada bags and whatever. Anyway, so... Uh, a factory over there had sent me some photos of one that they'd seen and then actually around the same time a customer had sent me some photos of them like hanging in the markets and the first thought was like oh and then the second thought was oh my gosh we've made it like we're, we're the Chanel of baby bags <laughs> people are copying us people are copying my designs like what um so that was <laughs> I think that was probably a moment where I thought well obviously what I'm creating holds value even outside of what sort of you know if they couldn't afford um our product for you know the, the retail price that it was they were actually willing to go and get a fake made like I was quite impressed um with the you know the and it's marketing dedication. your brand essentially <laughs> like it is still marketing the value of your brand it like is. I know and it was funny because I mean it didn't really upset me because honestly the the quality on the the look of what they'd created was it you could see that they were trying to create 
what we were producing but if you put them side by side it didn't look anything like it so I wasn't worried in terms of oh no people are going to be going and buying fakes and not the real one because if you are happy to carry that around then good on you but um you're not the customer segment then, right <laughs> exactly like it's, right. it's totally okay like you do you and thank you for thank you for loving appreciating yeah. my brand <laughs> exactly so I think from then on I was like okay obviously you know people really value what we what we're producing and I think as well I'm just trying to think of there's honestly been so many moments where I should have thought wow you know we've really done it now I think the New York Fashion Week um opportunity is probably one where I'm still trying to get my head around that and pinch myself a little bit but even so much as when we hold warehouse sales because we're an online business and we don't come into contact with you know our customer physically very often um, but we do have occasional warehouse sales we actually had one last weekend and it always makes me feel so happy to see there's people lining up outside before the warehouse sale opens and you know I, I looked down the street and there was like women that have, you know, taken the time to come down and buy something from us. But, you know, they all know the brand. They all, they, they love the brand so much that they're willing to get here half an hour before the, the sale opens, you know. And to me, I was just so grateful for that because I thought, you know, I feel that really I've created something that people really want and love and, you know, want to be a part of, which is really cool. You've built a brand and you've built something with integrity and honesty and care and something that you speak to for yourself. Um, and I think that translates through the masses. It, it oftentimes people um, are motivated to build something, not because there's a passion in it, but because they want monetary value in it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you started as a hobby and then scaled it just because the market asked for it. Um, you were technically giving, giving more than taking, which is nice. Yeah, definitely. And I've put literally blood, sweat, tears, you know, our own, we've, we've backed the brand ourselves financially as well. You know, I've put literally everything that we have into this business and, mm -hmm. and just so that we can see it succeed, because I really believe that the market deserves to have an option like this. And it's absolutely not, I'm not here for the, for the money. I'm here for the passion and being able to create something that, is you know holds value to someone else and it makes them feel amazing you know I, I think again it's got always going back to the the reason that I created the bag in the first place was that motherhood is one of those times where you can feel so not you can feel not yourself you can feel just you know tired and you know you don't really want to have to try to make yourself look lovely what was the process like now that you you self-backed the entire um, brand did you have a moment where you were like, I need to go for outside capital or making that decision to go with self-backing? Because it is a very difficult decision. Yeah. That moment. So we self-funded the brand until for the first, I'm just trying to think how long it was. It must have been about five years. And that was amazing. And, you know, we obviously COVID thrown in there through a big um, spanner in our works. I mean, it, it's funny. COVID for e-commerce was, I would say, as a general statement, great because people were online shopping. But you think about the product that we're selling and it's slightly higher price point. And the purpose of the product is so that you can get out and about. You can use it to go to the park. You can use it to go to the cafes and things like that. And so people weren't leaving their house. We had um, lots, many months of lockdowns in Australia like everywhere else. So our customer was literally just sitting at home um, not needing to use a baby bag so for us we did it has been a challenging time during COVID 
Um, but we're obviously coming out of that again now, which is amazing. We're very much up this year on last year, which is exciting. Um, but it did get to a point where we really knew that we needed to get depth in our best selling line because um, we have this one particular bag. I've actually got one on the floor next to me, but it's not in the color that we that we um, that I'm referring to. But this is our this is the RE backpack, which is the one that I was um, mentioning before. And this bag in black outsells everything else that we have by oh gosh many many multiples anyway so it makes sense yeah i look at it you know, and it makes sense yeah it's as well like black is a safe color you know so and that's the bag that's got all of the convertibility that you need as a parent anyway so we just had this ongoing problem that we're always selling out of that particular bag we just cannot keep them in stock long enough and so we knew that we needed to get a lot more depth in that particular line to be able to not be out of stock because being out of stock, it's, you know, people say, oh, wow, you sell out so quickly of all these things. That's so awesome. I'm like, yeah, except that it's actually not awesome because, you know, it, it affects our revenue um, forecasts quite a lot. Um, so we decided that we needed to look for some capital to be able to get depth in, in that best-selling line particularly. And to be able to just scale up our marketing a little bit more as well. Uh, and so I actually went down the road of doing a crowdsource funding round, which um, is probably a little bit more popular in the US, whereas in Australia, it's starting to gain popularity. Um, and that was great. We have uh, 107 investors now. So it's like a micro investment um, where they can um they can invest, I think it's as low as $250 into a brand, um, which is great. And it means that we have uh, a community of really strong advocates for our brand that, you know, they obviously have a vested interest in in what, you know, we're doing now, which is amazing. So we raised around uh, 150000 Australian in capital for that round, which was great. Um, obviously, that is, you know, that doesn't last a long time. We're in business. So uh, we've since then we've been self-funding continually, and then we will go for another raise again this year. And will you do the crowdfunding raise as well again? No. Or are you going to go VC route? Yeah, yeah, we'll be doing private raising. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's it's always. Um, what advice would you give to someone in that situation as well? Um, when they believe in their brand, they need the runway to do it. Um, but they're not sure whether to jump into private lending or going into crowdsourcing. So crowdsourcing is, it's interesting. I think the crowdsource fund um, industry, particularly in Australia, I, obviously I can't speak for how it works around the rest of the world, but in Australia, there are a lot of crowdsource funded brands that are things like um gin distilleries or um beer companies or you know not necessarily tech but sort of i suppose in some ways like male focused brands um something that a, a guy would be happy to rock up to a barbecue and say oh i own part of this you know brand of, of you know beer or whatever it is wear a t-shirt right with it. exactly yeah. um and that works really well for those brands they they raise like considerable amounts of money I think one of the things, one of the learnings for me 
when we did our crowdsource funding round is that because we are selling a very female focused product, it's not to say that men didn't invest in our brand, but we did have a very high percentage of women investing in Alpha Label, which was, that's amazing. That's what I love to see. You know, I, I want women to have financial independence and be able to make their own investment decisions. So I think that's really important. But it also it also is that they are the, the conservative, um, you know, that they're more conservative in, in terms of investments than men are. So I think that our capacity to raise within a crowdsource funding um, situation is probably maybe less than what if we were a beer company or something like that it's a little bit more sexy than rocking up to a barbecue with a baby bag and saying i invent you know i've invested in this product okay i don't know what you call sexy but it's it's what works for me okay <laughs> right exactly right exactly right so uh, so i think that uh it was definitely a challenge for us to be able to raise um through the crowdsource funding avenue not to say that I wouldn't ever do it again. I think it's a, an amazing way to build a community. And if your brand is built on community, it's perfect for that. So it certainly ticked all the, it, it did what we needed it to do. Um, but it certainly presents other challenges that we weren't aware of and that we sort of, well, and I suppose we wouldn't really be aware of them until we were kind of in the middle of that raise and sort of seeing what the feedback was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it certainly, it, it did what we needed it to do in the end, which was great. Absolutely. We all got access to more of the bag, which is what we all wanted in the first place. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. fantastic. Um, any parting wisdom moments for an entrepreneur that is maybe looking into getting into the 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 apparel world? Uh, get a mentor. Find some people who have been there before you and sort of already trodden that path and, and remember that mentors you're not always going to find one that can do everything i have a number of mentors in various areas of business generally and they all are experts in little you know in specific areas you know i have somebody that i go to when i have questions about wholesale i have someone that i go to when i have questions about e-commerce i have someone that i go to when i have questions about finance and and business management um but make sure that you don't try and just do it alone because you'll just make really expensive mistakes that you could have avoided by chatting to someone who has, you know, already done, been there, done that. I think it's really important. It's incredible. People don't realize that you can ask, you can ask, people will actually respond. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I remember my, um, our business manager, our, our business accountant, he has said to me a number of times that he's always been impressed with my ability to ask for help when we actually need it you know if there's something that's not going well or that we need to work on or some an area of the brand that we kind of we don't understand and that we need someone to help us with he said that he works with a lot of um, brands over the years that are, they're too proud to ask for help and then that's their downfall um, so you know whenever there's any issue or we, we we find an opportunity and we really want to we want to take that opportunity I'm always straight away I'm on the phone to people that I, I know and trust to be able to get their advice and you know you don't always take everything that they say as you know as as bible but you need to be able to you know sample everybody's opinions of things and how they've worked with it previously and what lessons they've learned to be able to make an educated decision yourself everyone has knowledge and you just need to sift through it and find the golden nuggets that you actually need in order to reference exactly. and grow in this process Yep. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm absolutely grateful. And I can't wait to be one of those people watching ELF grow and soar. Um, thank you. And thank you.